great. All right. So you had you had just mentioned something in your uh, uh, little talk about how things have begun to change for you, and it, it struck me about the word denial. Not that you use that word, but that that's basically what happens right in the beginning of things when people don't like um, something of whatever like that. And that uh, they've done some uh, actually quite old scientific research um, and a woman wrote a book her name was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross have you ever heard of her no okay uh, she actually wrote a bestseller and that bestseller uh, was popular in the 1970s in the early 70s and the name of the book was On Death and Dying. Oh, I've heard of that and, book. Okay. Uh, and so uh, in that book, she put through uh, the various stages that people, uh, you know, generally go through. And that basically, if you look at death as a major change, then yeah. almost all changes we have resistance to, we have a denial of it in the beginning. This is actually why uh, the Eightfold Noble Path has right effort, because it does take some effort, and the effort that we have to put in originally is the effort to get over our own denial. Yeah, 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 and that's what I felt. It really took quite a lot for me to kind of get past that because my mind my body everything my body was like tensing up and it was like no no <laughs> didn't like it uh -huh. at all even though I knew logically that by doing this I would feel better my system it was almost like it, it would much prefer to be safe you know keep me alive than to kind of take this step because it is a bit like a death, I think. I think Dad was talking to me about that, that it's almost well, the anything old way to change. die. <laughs> uh -huh. in, in fact, you can think of it like that, like this way, that there is the death of a self. And that self, you have put an enormous amount of effort and input into. That suffering self, that self that you have uh, had to to deal with for so long now we've got investment in it there's an investment into that thing Absolutely. yeah even uh, though it hurts <laughs> right even though it hurts there's still some investment in there and so that can be kind of the basis of the denial is um, in fact scientifically we could use the word inertia um and that inertia, the way we use it in psychology, is is that uh, it's really hard to get things moving. Yeah. But scientifically, the word inertia, actually, um, uh, it goes all the way back to Newton in the sense that ten, things tend to stay 
in the state that they're in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Go back to my GCSE physics. That if, if something is already moving, then it tends to continue to move. Mm. Mm. And that it takes some force. Like, for instance, a car will only roll down the road so far after it's run out of gas, but it does roll for a while because it's actually the road resistance and the wheels are turning. It started raining, just need to close my window. Uh-huh. That <laughs> caused the resistance for the thing to slow down and stop. Other than that, it's going to continue going. So basically what we're talking about here is the natural uh, physical aspect of the inertia that we have of moving out of the old way of doing it into a new way of doing it is going to take some work. Another way to talk about it, and the way that I've been talking about it for many, many years now, we can either call it two ways of talking. One is uh, habits, and the other way is patterns of the mind, our mental patterns. Okay. But uh, generally, when, um, let us say, when, when someone is going to uh, make some clothing out of a whole cloth with scissors and a sewing machine and whatnot, they generally intentionally follow a pattern. Yeah. All right. And so that pattern or that map is what we use to set things out on. But another way of talking about it is just merely that it's habits, or you can even think of it as habit patterns. That the patterns that we use to cut out our reality out of the uh, enormous amount of input that's come is normally done with a pattern that we have kind of built up over time. And so what we're actually practicing with Anapanasati, the awakening is, is to stop using that pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To stop making things into that way of doing things or to continue to follow that habit. But that habit also has some inertia behind it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of original resistance in there. And actually, to be honest with you, most people don't make it, they don't make it through that. Okay. They put up only enough effort for only so long to get only so much result. But then the old patterns, the old habits take over, especially if we, uh, let us say, uh, take a vacation from our actual practice. Yeah. Yeah. But that if we start practicing this, then these new habits, these new patterns, will eventually take over the old ones in a remarkably, profoundly um, uh, beneficial way. Yeah. But right now, you're kind of in the middle of it. You've, you've stepped into the middle, you've come, you've come through the door, the hard part is over. And that is through the, um, um, the inertia, or the denial, or that which it's really hard to make a change. 
and that you've already started at making the change, and now you've got something new. And what is it that you've got new is now you can see for yourself that it works. Before, all there was was a promise and a hope and maybe some faith. Not yeah. enough to actually do it. But now you've done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then I might kind of, you know, slip back, but then I, I know that it will be easier to then come back again because I know that I've had that experience. Right. Because and what we want to do is build on that so that you have a habit uh, or a, a new habit forming in the sense of over and over again, you can throw the old stuff out and come back and get yourself into a really nice state. Hmm. And we practice that over and over and over again. This is why we call it practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same with my meditation. <laughs> Just this is meditation. That's it. Yeah. That's what's yeah. nice about it, isn't it? Because you do your sitting meditation and then this kind of infiltrates throughout the day as well. So it's much more powerful. Well, even then we use the word meditation. Um, there, I, to be honest with you, there. let me give you first a clear definition of what I mean by the word meditation, taking it back to its original meanings and definitions. And then talk about how meditation can be used and is some value. But that number three, that's not what we're actually practicing. Okay. Okay. Because um, basically the original con uh, intention of uh, meditation also has a word close to it that we could use called cogitation. And it has to do with thinking about something. And therefore, it has something similar to do with Anapanasati, because we also were very much in, concerned about thinking about something. But within meditation, we take it kind of an object, so that the monks that, that were actually doing meditation would take something like the Trinity as their object of meditation, or some... Christian concept, say generosity or uh, uh, what is the nature of God or what is reality. Now let's get a little bit more, um, um, let us say, later in the game. We're talking about six, 1600, 1700s types of meditation. Uh, so what's happened over time, though, is, is that this form of meditation was also known in the time of the Buddha, but that's not actually what we're doing. But we can do that, and in fact, it does have quite a lot of value when it's time to do it. In other words, when we get the mind really, really fit for work. After it's fit for work, that's when we're actually ready and, and doing the meditation. Until we're in the, the state of mind where the mind is really fit for work, which is where most people are, they, they attempt and they work with meditation, but they don't have the mental skills for it. Yeah. Okay, now, now let me define actually what we mean by it in the sense of with, within Buddhism, we're thinking about uh, it in the sense of making sure that we maintain only wholesome thoughts 
and do not allow in unwholesome thoughts. But we have to remember to do that. Now, in that also, in that regard, we can say, well, we can then take objects of meditation, for instance, the Four Noble Truths, and really think through exactly how they work and how I'm applying them to this present moment. Mm-hmm. But it's applying it to this present moment that makes it click. Because people can just cogitate over the Four Noble Truths for hours and hours and hours, and it doesn't mean anything. But when we come to the point of saying, this is suffering, this is the cause of it. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. what it's like to be free from suffering. Okay, so now we're, we're, we're doing it in a way that um, has great value. And that some students will say even that I'm an enemy of the word meditation because I generally use the word anapanasati whenever uh, we're talking about whatever people are doing. But actually, a perhaps a better word to use would be the word practice. Okay. Okay. Now, practice is not the same thing as cogitation. People can sit and cogitate about the, uh, uh, the Four Noble Truths. They can... They can sit and cogitate about the nature of God or uh, what is reality or uh, what is the Trinity or what is divinity. These are the kind of topics that people can cogitate over. But that's not really practice. And the people, by doing this cogitation, can get a lot of insight. So they often misunderstand this cogitation thing with insight practice because they can figure out a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but no, that makes sense. But this does not but it's not the, the the end of suffering. It doesn't cause the end of suffering. In other words, while they're cogitating, they still may or may not feel good because they're not even paying close attention to what's going on. Okay. So Making that distinction, we can say, okay, what we actually are doing is practice, which means that we are developing certain skills. And I often use music because I was a kid, we practiced music. I must, sometimes I liked it and sometimes I di- didn't. And now I reflect upon that and understand how to teach meditation or how to teach Anapanasati so that the actual practice actually does develop the skill. And so the first skill that we have to um, uh, work on and practice, the skill that we need the most is the skill of sati, to wake up. That's what it basically means, to remember. And so uh, even in the sutta's name is anapanasati. That sati is one of the items on the Eightfold Noble Path. Uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, or the word mindfulness is sati, so satipatthana. The Buddha was really heavy, big time, big deal on this whole idea of waking up, of sati, to look at what the mind is doing. Well, as you were saying, yeah, but there's a whole lot of resistance to doing that. The old way is just to let things roll along, and when I stumbled and fell down, oh well, that's just how it goes. 
But now we're actually beginning to say, I've got to watch where I'm stepping. I've got to look where this mind is going. I've got to wake up. And so this is why we develop a sitting practice is because um, in the beginning for students, this is actually, here's another point. When people talk about meditation, they think that meditation is about squatting and leave and sitting on the floor for a certain period of time, doing a certain period of things, okay? To where Anapanasati and the practice of Anapanasati, it becomes one's life. It's something that we're not doing all day long, but all day long we intentionally try to remember to take a deep breath and to be here now over and over and over again. But that is such a difficult thing to do when we're out dealing with the world that so uh, the, the Buddha has a story. And the story I call the log in the bog so that the students can remember it. Yes, the log is in the bog, which means the mind is in the world. Right. And the, Okay, and the story is, is that um, in the time of the Buddha, there were professional fire makers. Now we have little machines that can do that really easy. Gas, electric, spy-electric, all kinds of things. Some of them are pretty smelly. Flints, you know what I'm talking about. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff organized in the time of the Buddha. Not at that level. And so one of the professions that they had, that people would have, would be professional firemaker. Now the question is, could that professional firemaker who really knows what he's doing, uh, set fire to that log in the bog? The answer is no, he cannot. Why? Because especially logs that had been in the bog and in the swamp for a long time, by the way, I spent several years in, uh, in a town in, when I was in high school, living in Dillon, South Carolina, which is right on the edge of the PD Swamp, which is a big area of South Carolina. So I really know all about swamps. This is why I like this story, is because, <laughs> it's because I was a log in the bog myself. And so, no, you can't set a fire to a log that's uh, uh, in a swamp. But you can take that log out of the bog and put it on the shore. Then can you set it afire? The answer is still no, because it's still dripping wet. But if you let it sit there for a while in the sun, also water has the quality of, with gravity, of sinking down so that the very part of the log that's being exposed to the sun is also the log part at the top where it's going to start draining down. So actually fairly quickly, you can set fire to the, to the log even while it's wet. But it has to be drug out of the bog for a while. Yeah. And that this is what we, this is why the Buddha uses that word like that. This is the story behind the whole quality of the word seclusion. And basically, seclusion means to get away from it all. We also have words in English like retreat. Not the way the Calvary retreats, but a retreat in the sense of getting away from it all. Yeah. All right. 
we actually are practicing that even if we do nothing but just get into a room by ourselves and and sit it doesn't even matter for squatting on the floor or you can do the whole nine yards with incense sticks and little statues and candles and do ubi dooby gummy gobbies and poly language and bow on the floor and whatnot and do a real first class meditation but the important point is getting away from it all to get alone to get by ourselves to become secluded from the world and then the next part of the seclusion is is to become secluded from the world that we brought into the room with us so at least we draw the boundaries that we're going to be secluded from the world, which means all the kind of things that happened in the past, all the things that are going to happen in the future, and all the things that are out there happening right now. We don't need that because we're going to start secluding ourselves. We physically secluded ourselves from it, so now let's mentally seclude ourselves from it. And with this seclusion comes an enormous relief because you have been bearing such a burden soaking wet in the bog and we don't even know it <laughs> that's a good analogy <laughs> and so we can become we can become dry and, and tender and um, uh, uh, something that we can actually work with and so this is why we want to get away from it. This is the reason for practicing meditation on a daily basis. And that um, really that quality of seclusion means that now it's a lot easier to remember to come back and watch the breath because there's really nothing happening except basically when we're sitting still, the body's really doing very little other than breathing. And so by paying close attention to the breath and just allowing that breath to be a nice breath, a real relaxing breath, wow, it's really good to be away from the world. And so we try to maintain that, to stay away from the world so that we can, and this is that, that uh, skill development. This actually takes effort. Because why? Because we're in the habit of thinking about all kinds of things all over the place. And so now we're going to say, let's settle this down and only pay attention to what's happening right here now. Yeah, the mind is like, no. <laughs> well, here's something really interesting. Right here, right now is quite marvelous. But when I start digging in the past, I can come across all kinds of problems. I've got broken cars and, and angry politicians and all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah. And so it, it's better to stay out of that past, to stay out of the world, in fact, so that we can stay. And so that's why we've come to understand this is so delightful. It is so delightful to just to get out of the, the whole way that, that the mind has been in the habit of working. So that we could just enjoy. I actually had a couple of experiences this week where I was just I was just out in the garden or something. Like I wasn't doing anything special, but I was really in the present. 
And I just started giggling to myself because I was like, this is great. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really good. Because <laughs> I wasn't in the past or the future for a change. And no, it was good. That comes naturally. And we want to allow it to become more and more natural, you know? That giggly feeling that you had was something that you could remember that you had when you were a little kid. Yeah. When girl, little girls could squeal with delight and laughter. Okay. Many girls don't remember it. We only tend to remember the bad stuff. But there was delight in childhood. But as we grew up, there was a whole lot of, let us call it, micro traumas building up. Go clean your room, shut the door, shut your mouth, do what I tell you to do, kind of little blunt trauma forces over and over and over again. And one of the qualities that you can almost understand that for, for kids, because you were one once, the kids are almost always joyful, playful, curious, doing things, and it's the adults that are all unhappy. But then the adults are conditioning the kids so that as the kid grows up, he grows up becoming more and more unhappy. Yeah. And here you are telling me the story that you're out in the yard now giggling like a child again. Yeah. Take delight in that because that's, that's what real life is, is that we don't have to live a life of being the kind of adult that you were trained to be. Yeah, yeah. Kind of rule, so rule driven so many people <laughs> like in this little box <laughs> yes always and that's been it <laughs> and so you can see this is why they call it moksha freedom to get out of that box the box of bad feelings the box of all the rules all the shoulds and all of that and just let it go just be free from it and it allows us to be in that really delightful state that delightful state that you're talking about, you can actually do two things with that now. One is, is that you're going to cultivate it so that you can have that state more often. And to number two, you're going to, when you do have it, cultivate it so that you can let it last a little bit longer. It doesn't have to be over and, and finished in five or ten seconds. You can draw that out to 30 seconds, 40 seconds, maybe a minute. Yeah. Okay. So this is how we practice that. That joyful, natural state that you're talking about that you can experience takes some focus. We have to actually wake up to be here now. And look at all of that resistance to it that was oh, built gosh. up over time, that conditioning. Mm. Yeah. I'm starting to, yeah, break through that now. So, so right, you're beginning to decondition yourself. Yeah. And this is why we want to practice sati so that we can wake up to literally play in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To remember, it's okay to go out and play in the yard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually managed to do a bit of art as well, which, and I've had a block to do art. So, because I did a um, quite an academic degree, 
and it kind of shut me down to playfulness a lot and I just art was like my joy in life before that I loved it and I just Until had I made it a job yeah exactly and then I just I, I was doing a marine biology degree and it was just so much work and it just kind of ground me down I think and then I just couldn't do art I just couldn't do it and I managed to do a little bit this week so that's really good there's an easier way to get a marine biology degree <laughs> go swimming <laughs> I know I know <laughs> I know in my second year I was like I've made a mistake I'm going at this the wrong way <laughs> well yeah. about that art about that art you probably stopped enjoying it because there was expectation. Yeah, yeah. I'm now really... you have the permission to play with art without any expectations of actually finishing anything. Yeah. Just be in the moment drawing. Yeah. And that's the thing, I had such a strong expectation of, oh, this has to be really good, or this has to be this way, or I have to finish it. It completely ruins creativity that's just not what it's about and that's so of why, course i felt that's stressed what happens to almost everyone and that's why artists are so rare yeah that's why artists are so rare is because we actually have to stop thinking the way that we are taught to think with expectations and the end in other words, the end of the painting is more important than the beginning of the painting. And the artist says, oh, no, that first stroke is the most important one. Yeah. <laughs> Which one is that? The next one that I'm taking right now. That's the one that's important. <laughs> oh, it's true. It's true. And so because getting out of the, the end product into the action and the doing takes... Uh, that's the inertia that we have to overcome because we have been in that trajectory for so long and we need to stop that, slow down, and be in the present moment. For your art, for singing in the backyard, for potting plants, anything. Our whole life can be done in the present moment. Yeah. Joyously. So, when, whenever you have some time, and what I would recommend for students, rather than, because a lot of them have the idea that, oh, I have to sit for a long time, and then longer and longer and longer and longer. That's not the way that I would think. I would say, no, it's got a whole lot more to do with how often, rather than how long you sit. So rather than sitting for an hour one time, it's better to sit four times for 15 minutes. Okay. And you can do that out in the yard. But you can yeah. go out there intentionally saying, for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to wash my breath and to feel as happy as I can and not let any of the old past or uh, downtown or any of the world come into this garden. So is that, um, does that change as you become like more advanced? Because I know that dad does like two you hours. You get good at it and you begin to really like it. 
so that that 15-minute boundary doesn't mean so much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, Dad says that it's his best time of day sometimes, and it's just he loves it. <laughs> well, the problem is it has to be practiced. It has to be practiced over and over and over again because we've been carrying so many years of how to be an adult in the Western world. Yeah. And yeah. we have to learn a lot of that stuff so that we can go and learn and be, be a kid again. I know. I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, You've, we spent all these years building ourselves up and now I'm just looking back and I'm thinking, that was a bit worthless. I want to let it all go now. So it's just like, <laughs> I'm now undoing like 23 years of all of this building up. <laughs> like what, what good has all that done me, really? <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, <laughs> let, let's keep on going like this. Easy does it. The important thing is that you have to get yourself into a state of good enjoyment and you know what that's like. You remember it from childhood and you can, you've can you already had at least one recent occasion. So you can say, yeah, we can do this. We can let that world go and sit in the present moment and really enjoy it. I even, um, I had a day last week where I was in a lot of like physical pain and I could like feel myself wanting to distract myself from it, but I got myself to just go and lay down without any distractions and just watch my breath. And I did it for about, I don't know, two hours or something. And the pain was still there, but I just, I wasn't really that bothered. It was fine. Like I just, I was just there watching my breath and I felt, I mean, I didn't feel joyful exactly, but I felt content. I felt, you know, it was fine. Um, well, that's rather that's advanced really of you. Yes, that's exactly the way to drive. When when we do, when we just allow something, even like a physical pain in the body, when we just allow it to be there, and yeah. we do not allow it to pull us away from the breath, that's actually good strong sati to be able to sit and watch your breath for a couple of hours, knowing that that pain is there, and you're just saying, "Yeah, I know you're there." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it was fine. So, that's really excellent. That's good practice. Yeah. And that's what I tried to look at it as. I was like, it's just practice. It's just an opportunity to practice. It's fine. <laughs> what's your What's your choice? To lay in bed and pour, oh me, oh pity party, oh this hurts so much, oh I'll never get out of this pain, oh what kind of doctor can I find? They're too expensive. You know the routine. You've been through that before. I know the routine very well. <laughs> very well. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I know now that that physical pain, a lot of it is is to do the, with the way I think of my emotional patterns and things. Because I've kind of, I've been watching it for a long time and there's a very strong correlation with that. Um, I know it's fascinating once you start to see it without all that emotional stuff coming up and that judgment. You can learn so much, can't you, about what your system is trying to tell you and what, how it's responding, and no, it's amazing. That's right. That we, In fact, most people spend so much time in the denial, even when the body's trying to tell them something. Yeah, exactly. And 
I've ignored my kind of body's messages for a very long time, which is why I'm in this situation now. <laughs> and um, so now I'm going to get myself back out of it again. <laughs> this is excellent. Yes, it's time to start paying attention to the body. What it's doing right now, in the here now, not what I'm going to do with it next month because of what it's doing right now. Like making a plan to go get surgery or something. No, right now I'm dealing with the body the way it feels right now. Yeah. Because, well, you don't know what the body's going to be doing in a month anyway. And if you start kind of predicting it, then you might actually make that happen anyway. So if you're like, oh, it's going to be terrible in a month, then it's probably going to be terrible in a month. So. That's right. That... <laughs> I think that humanity spends uh, or gives far too much credit to calendars. <laughs> yeah, I've never liked them that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Olivia, I've really enjoyed this conversation. This has been great. I really appreciate you checking in and um, let me hear from you again soon. But right now, your idea is just to get yourself into a nice, comfortable state. And then learn to maintain that. Practice it over and over and over again. Just a... <sighs> and I'll go and do some more art. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you later. Thank you for your time. Good to see you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. You Bye.